You turn to the sixth chapter of Hebrews and our text, verse 9, down to the verse 12. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The theme of this text that I've just read to you is Christian ministry or Christian service. This is brought out by the twofold use of the verb to minister or to serve, which is found at the end of verse 10, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, this reference to service or ministry, this refers to the wider Christian ministry in which all Christians are involved. It's not a reference to the Christian ministry, the ministry of pastors, the ministry of elders, but this is the ministry of all the people of God. All the servants of the Lord were saved to serve and to be involved in Christian ministry. So this is not an address to pastors or to elders or even to deacons. This is an address to all believers. Verse 9, but beloved, he's addressing the congregation of the saints. He's addressing every Christian and there is not one believer in the church that is excluded. So every believer then is a servant. Every believer then in that regard is a minister. And he calls this ministry a work and labor of love. Verse 10. And this is our subject tonight. Christian service. And there are a number of things that I want to leave before you that we draw out of this text as the Lord enables us. First of all, Christian service, whenever it is evident, whenever it is seen, is reassuring to pastors and elders and to those who have the oversight of the congregation. They like to see the people of God involved in service. It assures them concerning the spiritual condition of the flock. Notice the context in which the apostle brings this up, the subject of Christian service. He doesn't bring it up out of the blue. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not some random theme that has popped into his head. No, he's been talking about two grounds, two very different grounds. He's been talking about the ground that is blessed, the ground of herbs, the ground that drinks in the rain and brings forth these herbs that are meat and fit for the use of the dressers, that are beneficial to the dressers. So he's speaking of that good ground, bringing forth these herbs. And then he speaks of the the evil ground, the cursed ground, that brings forth thorns 
and briars that hurt and harm and tear and cut. And then he states, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. In other words, you're not that ground. You're not the ground of briars and thorns. We are persuaded better things of you. Things that accompany salvation. In other words, he's saying, we believe you have the herbs. We believe you have the fruitfulness. You have union to Christ. You're joined to the vine. I have this confidence. I have this trust. Persuaded, he says. I have this persuasion. This assurance, he says. That you have the things accompanying salvation. Because of your work. Your labor of love. Your ministry. I see that. I'm encouraged by that. And that's part of the thing that accompanies salvation, true salvation. So it seems to me then that the apostle is saying, you have the herbs, you have the true Christian service in this respect of ministry. Your Christian service is fruit and it's evidence. You're not thorns and you're not briars. You don't hurt the saints. You don't have malice and viciousness. You have love. You have kindness. Those are the things that accompany salvation. And I am persuaded, therefore, you're not of this cursed ground. So that's the context in in which this comes out. You, You minister to the saints. You do Christian service. You have these kind works. And that's a good sign. That gives me assurance that you are true and genuine Christians. And pastors and elders, they look for that. They want to see the fruit in the lives of the people of God. They like to hear profession. They like to hear the people talk and talk about the Lord and talk about their faith in the Lord and their love for the Lord. But they especially want to see the fruit in the life. To watch the herbs develop. To notice the aroma that herbs and spices give. They want to notice that aroma of godliness and kindness. In humble Christian service. In the development of good works. So so that's the first thing. Christian service when it is seen is, is reassuring to Paul. And it's reassuring to every pastor who pastors over any congregation. He likes to see this in the people. And then secondly, Christian service is something that accompanies salvation. Doesn't the apostle say the things that accompany salvation? You see, salvation's not alone. Salvation is accompanied by things. The evidence of salvation, the fruits of salvation. Now, there are many things that accompany salvation, of course, but certainly in the context, part of the things that accompany salvation is Christian work, Christian service and Christian labor. So good works, Christian ministry, service, accompany salvation. Someone who is saved will serve. Someone who is saved will work. 
Let me stress, they accompany salvation. They're not the cause of salvation. You don't serve to be saved. Salvation is not the result of service. We have faith in Christ. And Christ saves us. And we depend on him for salvation. But that salvation that he imparts to us by his grace has fruit and evidence. And part of that is good works. Grace brings salvation. Salvation is a gift of God through faith. Faith alone, as you have often been taught in the congregation, but good works accompany the salvation that is received. Works then are not the cause. They are the evidence of salvation in the life. And so there are people who say, well, I have salvation, I'm saved. But what we're wanting to see is, is the things that accompany that. Is there the fruit of the Spirit? Is there evidence of Christian love and Christian service? That's what we are looking for. That's what the Apostle has seen in the Hebrews and he is assured of. If you say you're saved and you're all thorns and briars and you don't have Christian works, then you're not a Christian because salvation has, has evidence. It has fruit. The absence of fruit, the absence of the evidence, no things accompanying salvation, then there mustn't be the salvation, or, or certainly we have to question the matter or be somewhat concerned. Whenever Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, Brethren, we know your election of God. Now, how did he know their election of God? He didn't read the Lamb's Book of Life. God hadn't given him some special revelation. It was because he saw the fruit. He saw their work of faith and labor of love. The very same words that he uses here in Hebrews. We know, we, we remember your labor of love, your work. You have the fruit. We know your election. You have the things that accompany salvation. Whenever the word came to you, it came with power. You received the word, you received it with affliction, you suffered. You had the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you were examples of labor and of service and of love and of ministry to everybody in Macedonia and to Achaia and all about. You were just shining in fruitfulness. And I know your election of God, the things that accompany salvation. And so this is the same here with, with the Hebrews. It wasn't just empty profession. They put feet to their profession. They labored and they served. And they became shining examples to others. And it is by their fruits that ye shall know them. And the Thessalonian church was certainly known by theirs. And then thirdly, a chief characteristic of this ministry, of this Christian service, is that it is out of love. For what does he call it there in verse 10? God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. It was of love. It wasn't just work and labor and done with, you know, a kind of a careless and a carefree attitude. No, there was, there was genuineness in it. It was loving, kind service. There was nothing of thorns and briars in it. There wasn't digs and cuts, you know, doing it all the while, that kind of attitude. 
It wasn't service or labor getting back, you know, riding roughshod over others, trying to hurt others. No, it was genuine, a genuine kindness. It wasn't perfect kindness, not a perfect love. There's no Christian who's perfect in love. But there is a genuine kindness. Whenever one is converted, when one experiences salvation, uh, one of the experiences is an experience of the love of God. The love of God that's shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Spirit. We're not talking so much about feelings. We're talking about practical fruit. But it does come out of a heart of kindness. So mercy and kindness accompany salvation. Your labor of kindness, your labor of love. Whenever Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one that he names? It's love, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Whatever else it is, it is that primarily. And that's why the apostles were always exhorting us, especially John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. You see, it's the evidence of salvation. It's the things that accompany salvation. Everyone that's born of God loveth, as God loveth. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So this love is first to God, serving out of love to the Lord. It's very important. Do you remember how Deuteronomy says, What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him. And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So it's out of love for God, first of all. We do it because he first loved us. We love him. It's service, it's ministry, it's some kind of response to God for his love. We love him because he first loved us. And it's shown in, in humble service. Being in his house, praying and reading his word and just obeying his word as we get opportunity. So it is service that flows, first of all, from the love of God. And then after that, his people are loved for his sake. Because, you see, if God is loved, his family is loved. I mean, you couldn't possibly love God and not love his family. In the family, you, you love the parents, and you love the brethren and sisters, and love to God is manifested in love to the saints. How do we love God? Yes, by, by praying and by obeying him. And, but really also it's by showing love to those who bear his image. And are in his family. And again, First John, he brings this out in his epistle. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he have seen. How can he then love God whom he have not seen? This is the commandment we have from Christ. He that loveth God loveth his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. So you love the Father, him that begot, but you also love him that is begotten of the Father. That is, all other Christians, like yourself, your brethren, 
and sisters. So it's a labor of love. It's love for God, love for the brethren and sisters. This is its chief ingredient. This is the thing that accompanies salvation. Now what that love is and all its extent, we can't possibly consider tonight. But we can read on another occasion, uh, in your own home no doubt, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it is all so wonderfully described and defined for us. And then another thing about Christian service is it's, it's practical. It is helpful. What does it say here? God is not unrighteous to forget your work, labor of love, which you have showed, which you've made visible toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So it's, it's all visible. It's work, it's labor, it's practical. It's not just an airy furry feeling, you know, of love in you. It's manifest. It's uh, having these verbs of serving and ministering and these nouns of work and labor. All very practical words describing the ministry of the saints. This includes everything that is done for saints, from praying for them, and that's one of the most important things of all in this service, praying for one another, praying for the saints, but also giving to them in need, giving words of encouragement, doing deeds of kindness toward them, showing tokens of love, making offers of help, a suitable embrace perhaps from time to time, things like that were... There is the kindness, the labor, the service to encourage and to help one another in the service of God. These are the herbs. This is the aroma of the Christian life. This is the things that accompany salvation. It's not you know, orthodoxy in your head, sound Calvinist, you know the five points, you can talk like a learned man in the things of God. No, this is, this is the practical things that accompany salvation. As John says, Whoso hath his words good, and saith his brother hath need, and yet shutteth up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, that is not love in word, neither in tongue. There's nothing about word and tongue here, but in deed, in truth. So it's practical. Or to quote another apostle, James, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, and notwithstanding you don't give him those things which are needful for his body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. If it doesn't have the things that accompany Salvation. There are things that accompany faith. And works is one of them. It accompanies true faith. Though it is not the cause of our salvation, as you know. And then, it is to be pointed out that this Christian service ought also to be consistent and continual. You notice how the Apostle says there at verse 10, in that he have ministered to the saints. And then he says... And do minister. In other words, it's not just past. You've just ministered in the past. No, I know you're still doing it. I know you're still continuing it. And he stresses this. You're consistent. It's not that you did it years ago. 
I know you're still doing it. I know you're still praying and interceding and doing labors of kindness and love and helping others. You're consistent, you're ongoing. And so that's very important. This vital element of consistency and that pastor is blessed who knows his people have not only ministered in the past but that they continue to minister they continue to show their service to God they continue to support the Lord's work and the Lord's cause and they continue to pray and continue to be at the meetings he knows that they do this daily also in their lives that they're kind and as they have opportunity we can only do so much of course can't we brethren and sisters as we have opportunity but we seize the opportunities and are consistent and this consistency is on to the end you notice at the end of verse 11 on to the end is the apostle always saying this on to the end keep believing on to the end your service your labor of love your ministry on to the end consistent on to the end and and we have to be continual. There's no good fits and starts, brethren and sisters, in the Christian service and the Lord's work. No, we have to be consistent, continue every week, be in our place every week, doing the service until the end, the end of our health, the end of our life, or the end of opportunity or whatever. And then Christian service also has as its great end and aim the glory of God. And notice how the apostle states this, your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. That's so important. He could have said which you've showed towards his saints, you've showed towards his people. He does say that, but he says this first to his name. That's the first thing. Your Christian service is for the name of the Lord. The ministry is on the horizontal, yes, it's helping the saints, it's helping your fellow men, it's on that level, but it's also on the vertical. It's service for God, it's sacrifice and labor for Him, it's ministry for Him, for the Lord, unto the Lord, unto His name. He who has an excellent name, above all other names, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's very important congregation. That we do it for the Lord. That we pray for the Lord. We pray for one another. But we're doing it for the Lord. That we serve one another. But we're doing it because we love the Lord. And it's for the Lord. And for the Lord's glory. And to encourage the saints to go on with the Lord. with, With his name. So he is at the center of it all. At the heart of it all. And that was the nature and the motive of the greatest servant of all, wasn't it? Remember the Son of God incarnate. He did everything for his people. But he did it all for the glory of his Father. I have glorified thee on the earth, Father. I finished the work that you give me to do. For your name. And that's very important. Do it for the Lord. For the Lord has done so much for you. Do it for his name, without moaning and complaining, without saying, oh, nobody else is doing it, I'm left to do it all on my own. No, without moaning and complaining, for his name, if you have the right motive, you see, it cheers you. You don't get discouraged 
You don't get disheartened. You don't get filled with self-pity. You just do it for his name. So this motive must dominate. Otherwise we'll be greatly discouraged. Even the best of saints are not always lovable. It's not easy to sometimes serve our brethren and sisters. We all have faults and failings and we all you know, have turn-offs about us. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm speaking with respect to myself. We all have faults and failings. But for his name, for his name, that regulates and helps everything, doesn't it? And even whenever we do have our faults and feelings, we still do love one another, brethren and sisters. I know we do. And we overlook people's faults. And we even forget them. Because we love the Lord and want them to be blessed by the Lord. And we go on serving one another for his name. And because of this love that we have for him and for, for one another. So his glory is the main motive in our service. And it is for his name that we serve one another. And it is for his name that we forgive one another. Whosoever giveth a cup of cold water to drink in my name, he'll not lose his reward, the Lord says. Just do it in my name. Then we are able to do all these things. And then Christian service, as I just hinted there at the end of that, Christian service will certainly have its reward. You'll notice here how verse 10 puts it. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Isn't that encouraging? He brings in the justice of God here. Your ministry, your service. God won't forget that. He's not unrighteous to forget that. Such service God notices. He doesn't ignore it. You know, it is unrighteous to forget kindness, isn't it? People show us kindness. We forget. And we're ungrateful, perhaps. Not acknowledge the kindness. And we know that that's very miserable among us. If that should be so. But God is not like that. If we show kindness for his name. If we show ministry toward his name. With all its faults and failings. He's not unrighteous to to forget that, to not notice that. The apostle uses this word forget a number of times in his epistle and is usually applying it to men. Uh, Don't be forgetting to entertain strangers. Don't be careless. Don't be uncaring for strangers. Don't be forgetting to communicate and to do good. Don't be uncaring and careless in that regard. And here he's using this word of God. God is not uncaring. God is not careless. He tells us not to be careless, but he's certainly not careless himself. If you serve the Lord, he will honor you. He'll reward you. He will bless you. If it's sincere, if it's out of love, if it's for his glory and for his name, and if it's lawful and right and biblical, God will acknowledge it. And that means on a very basic level, He accepts it. And that is a wonderful thing in itself. That God accepts our service with all its faults. That he just receives it as if it's done to him with perfection. As Paul says, if there be a willing mind, even if there's a willing mind, it's accepted. You can't always do things. 
You don't always have the means. You don't have, always have the opportunity. But you can have the mind. Oh, if only I could do that. If only I had that ability. If only I had that gift. If only I had that opportunity. If only I could build the temple of the Lord. He sees the mind. And he accepts the mind. He accepts that as service. Remember how the woman, all she did was pour the ointment on the Lord before his death. And that was despised by others. But what did the Lord say? Leave her alone. She's done what she could. He accepted it. He accepted that rich oil anointment poured over him. He delighted in it. He saw the ministry. He saw the service. He saw the love for his name. He saw the sacrifice. And he, he accepted it. And that's a wonderful thing when the Lord accepts your service and ministry. Although you are very conscious of all the faults in it. And all the failings. He not only accepts it. He blesses it too. And he blesses you in that service for him. And of course this will include in the judgment day the reward. It's thinking of the judgment day too. Yes you'll be rewarded now in this life. Praise the Lord. But in the world to come there is the reward. Whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name. I mean that's very simple service isn't it? And there are some people of God, that's all they have opportunity for. Just a very simple, humble service. Just giving someone a cup, cup of water. Or something like that. And then he says, if, if the humble servant just does it in my name, they'll not lose a reward. I notice that. I receive that. And I will acknowledge that. And I will bless that. Verily I say unto you, you shall not lose your reward. And so God blesses this service in these, these ways. Unchristian service then is something that ought to be encouraged by the preachers of the word. And that's what the apostle is doing here in verses 11 and 12. He's going on to the practical preaching and he says, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence so he's encouraging them to continue on in this service. He's exhorting them in this business. All of you, every one of you. Do you see how he brings that in? He wants to emphasize this. I'm not just talking to ministers. I'm not just talking to you deacons. Every one of you, he says. Give diligence in this matter. Give diligence in this business. Every one of you do show the same diligence. You Sabbath school teachers. You official workers, yes but also you humble believers who just attend the meetings, who just give sacrificially to God's work week by week, just all of you to show the same diligence for his name and for the love of his work. Verse 12, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. Don't allow this matter to slip out of your mind. Don't let the thing slip, but keep at it. Keep on serving God. Keep on in your diligence, in your good works. So positively says, give diligence. Negatively he says, don't be slothful. And so by these means of preaching, he's exhorting them to continue on in work and service and in Christian ministry. 
as he does in other places. He says, for example, to the Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labour is not in vain in the Lord. And to the Galatians, he said something similar, Let us not be weary in well-doing. Let us not be weary in the means of grace. Let us not be weary in helping others. Let us not be weary in being out to encourage others. In due season we'll reap. We'll get our reward if we faint not. And to the Thessalonians he said something similar. Therefore be not weary in well doing. So don't be slothful. Don't, don't give up. Keep at it. And so this is part of the ministry to encourage the people of God in service. And then Christian service also, if diligently and faithfully engaged in by the saints, it will help their assurance and their comfort in Christian things. So this Christian service, it helps your assurance. Notice what the Apostle says. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. That is in service and Christian labor and Christian ministry. To the full assurance of the hope. He's saying that if you do this, if you love his name and you serve his name, that will have the tendency to strengthen your faith and assurance. Now why do so many Christians not have assurance? Why do so few Christians have the full assurance? And he's wanting them to be diligent in the service Onto the full assurance. In other words, somehow it helps towards assurance and confidence in the Christian life. I mean, if you're careless and not serving the Lord and living like the world, can you really have assurance? Do you really deserve full assurance if you just look like a whirling and behave like a whirling? You couldn't possibly have assurance. It's important for your assurance that you serve the Lord and you be diligent and not be slothful in this business. Now, someone who's not and is slothful may be the Lord's and no one's going to question your profession. We, we wouldn't dare do that. It's not our job to do that. People confess the faith and they confess the Lord and we accept their confession, their profession. But really, does it not leave a question mark? And does such a believer deserve assurance? And can they really have comfort when they're not being faithful in the service of the Lord? They can't really have peace, can they? I mean, if you're in a backslidden state, you can't have assurance. You can't have peace. It's in our Christian service and obedience to God that we have peace. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So give diligence in this matter to the full assurance. And as I said, this is why Christians sometimes lack assurance. And certainly lack full assurance. They're not sincerely serving the Lord as they ought. And it's no wonder that they don't have comfort. And then lastly, Christian service is exemplified in the lives of many saints. Because what does the apostle say there? It has many examples. Verse 12. That ye be not slothful, 
but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And he's bringing us on into a new section with that. You have examples. You have men and women of faith who have gone before. In chapter 11 especially, Paul gives us a lot of those examples of people of faith and servants of God who have gone before these people who exemplify Christian faith and service and through patience and that means the patience of Christian service the consistence of Christian service obtain the promises and the examples in the Bible that Paul covers are Abel and Enoch and Noah and especially Abraham and he in fact goes on to Abraham in this regard in the verses that follow Moses, Samuel, David and others and then Chiefly, Christ himself, he's the great example. He is the one that we look on to really as the chief example. All these other examples, they're good examples, but they don't impart grace to serve. Which is why we don't look to them. We look on to Jesus, we don't look to the saints. Yeah, we see their example and we follow their example, but we're not looking to them to give us the grace of service. We look to the chief servant, the author and finisher of faith, the chief pilgrim who truly and sinlessly and perfectly served his father. We look to him as the example who also imparts to us the grace so that we can serve as he served. So these living examples of Christians that are in the Bible, and we also have living examples around us in our life, I trust, as well, the people that we've known in our life and they, they so stood out as servants of God and they've been an encouragement in the lives that they've lived. We want to have lived lives like them. What I'm saying, brethren and sisters, there's no excuses. There, there's plenty of examples for us in church history, in the Bible, in people we've known in our lives. There are plenty of examples to tell us what a good Christian servant of the Lord is. And we should want to imitate them and be followers of them. So there's no excuse for our idleness and slothfulness in this business. So brethren and sisters, arise. Serve the Lord. Don't we sometimes sing that in Psalm 100? Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve him. Serve him with gladness. Glorify your Savior in Christian labor, in Christian service and work out of love for his name and out of love for one another and also remember that our little day will soon end it will soon be over and the opportunity for all of this will be gone and what did the saviour say I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day the night cometh when no man can work So these are motives to be up and doing for the Master in Christian service.